This is Africa Digest. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. You can find us on frequency 9625 kilohertz, that is on the 31 meter band if you're in southern Africa. You can also find us on 802 on the DSTV audio booking. I am Spumela Lezondi and I'm with Joala Netulo, Wisani Matebula and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. The petition to nullify the re-election of Kenya's president continues in Nairobi. Africa urged to work closely together with the BRICS countries to achieve its objective of playing an active role in the global affairs. In economics, Egyptian oil minister signs three oil and gas exploration deals for 16 new fields in the western desert. And in sports, Springboks look ahead to the next rugby championship clashes against Australia and New Zealand. Chola Netulo has a news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. The petition to nullify the re-election of President Uhuru Kenyatta continues in the capital Nairobi and is expected to end on Thursday, clearing the way for seven Supreme Court judges to deliver their judgment. Already one of the lawyers representing Kenya's Electoral Commission has legally discredited submissions made by the presenter of the petition, opposition leader Raila Odinga. Lawyer representing Kenya's Electoral Commission, Professor Patrick Lumamba, explained why the Commission's declaration that Kenyatta had won the 27 presidential election should not be changed. Lesotho former Minister of Defence and Deputy Leader of LCD was detained overnight in a police cell. Tiriso Mohosi was questioned regarding the death of Police Constable Mokalakai Gheteng. Gheteng went missing after being arrested by three police officers. He was later found dead and his body was exhumed and buried last weekend. Mohosi is alleged to have provided a vehicle that took him and disposed of his body. The LCD claims he has been tortured in the hands of the police. The former wife of South African, or rather the former wife of South African President Jacob Zuma has dismissed criticism that her bid to succeed him in office is a strategy to protect him from criminal prosecution. Former AU Chairperson Nkosa Zanadlamini Zuma is a leading candidate to replace Zuma as head of the ruling ANC party in December and then as national president within two years. President Zuma is widely seen as favoring Lamini Zuma ahead of Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa in the race that could split the ruling ANC. Lamini Zuma told AFP that she found it offensive to be seen as her ex-husband's chosen candidate to shield him from the courts when he leaves office. Libya's future prosperity, rather, Libya's future prosperity and stability depends on the international community, furthering strengthening and unifying its efforts on behalf of the whole country. That's the plea from the head of the UN support mission in Libya, Hassan Salame, addressing the Security Council for the first time in his key role, despite a new, rather a nearly two-year-old political agreement. The country is still divided into armed factions, mired in conflict, and a stumbling economy. Matt Wells has more. Mr. Salame painted a vivid picture of the insecurity, frustration and economic despair that has made Libya the epicentre for human trafficking towards Europe with many of the hallmarks of a failed state. 
Despite its relative oil wealth, he said, endless cuts in utilities, sporadic violence across the country and political stalemate were preventing the country from fulfilling its potential. The special representative told council members that security and oil production in the capital, Tripoli, had improved markedly in recent weeks. He signalled that amendments to the 2015 political agreement were imminent as a way of finally making progress to ending conflict and the accompanying humanitarian crisis. And finally, the South African government says the world cannot afford a further escalation of tension in the Korean Peninsula. North Korea has again come under heavy criticism for firing a missile that flew over Japanese territory before crashing into the sea. South Korea, Australia and Britain have sharply condemned Pyongyang's actions. Spokesperson for the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, Nelson Hoyte. We urge all the parties to prioritise negotiation and diplomacy over the current situation where we are seeing uh, missile launches and other threats emanating from different angles. And we urge all the parties involved in this conflict to uh, ensure that uh, there is peace in that particular part of the world. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thanks, Jordan. It's 17.06 Central African time. The petition to nullify the re-election of President Uhuru Kenyatta continues in the capital city of Kenya, Nairobi, and is expected to end on Thursday, clearing the way for seven Supreme Court judges to deliver their judgment. Already one of the lawyers representing Kenya's Electoral Commission has legally discredited submissions made by the presenter of the petition, opposition leader Raila Odinga. Meanwhile, independent legal experts are giving their overview of submissions so far made by at the court by the parties involved. Jim Shimanyuna. In his lengthy submission, veteran lawyer Professor Patrick Lumumba, representing Kenya's Electoral Commission, explained to the seven judges of the Supreme Court why the commission's declaration that Uru Kenyatta had won the 2017 presidential election should not be changed. This court should be very reluctant to overturn the will of the people of Kenya unless it can't be demonstrated that indeed that will was subverted. Using a rare analogy to show that Uhuru Kenyatta won and his victory should not be nullified, Professor Lumumba brought this factor to the judges. Your lordships and your ladyships, ours is midwifery. We delivered a baby. That baby is alive and well. You are being asked to strangle the baby. Decline the invitation. Decline the invitation because the baby is alive and well. Legally tearing apart opposition leader Raila Odinga's petition, Lumumba retorted emphatically. This petition is destitute of merit. And because it is destitute of merit, it should suffer only one fate. The fate of dismissal. During submissions, Odinga's lawyers highlighted allegations of voter intimidation and lack of integrity against Uhuru Kenyatta and multi-practices committed by the Electoral Commission during presidential election. This is how Ernest Munguti, one of Kenya's independent legal experts, characterized the vices. Allegations against the IEBC and uh, the president are very, very fatal because they may even drift this country into a civil strife if they are not well handled by the judiciary. Lawyers participating in the case have top legal minds will articulate the law and the facts and will not be allowed to be swayed by the political affiliations in their hearts. Now, the general public is waiting anxiously for this decision because this decision will make the judiciary or break it. Apart from well-known and relatively unknown lawyers representing Kenya's electoral commission, as well as opposition leader Raila Odinga and President Uru Kenyatta, the Supreme Court has allowed the three so-called friends of the court to make legal independent submissions. Kenya's Attorney General, Githumuigai, one of them, has a tough explanation of a friend of the court. A friend of the court is a party who comes to assist the court to appreciate 
either a special set of laws or a special set of circumstances or facts. He is not aligned to any party. He is not for either party. That was Kenya's Attorney General Githumuigai. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Africa needs to work closely together with the BRICS countries in order to achieve its objective of playing an active role in the global affairs. This is according to the director of the, Confu- of the Confucius Institute at the University of Johannesburg, David Munyai. The Confucius Institute has convened a seminar in Johannesburg to reflect on the background of the relationship between Africa and BRICS. The seminar held under the theme Africa Cooperation, Progress, Prospects and Challenges is preceding the ninth BRICS summit to be held in China in September. BRICS is an acronym for an association of five major emerging economies, which are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. David Munyai has more on the purpose of the seminar. The main aim of uh, this seminar is to bring together our scholars, members of civil society, government officials, uh, together to discuss uh, matters pertaining to BRICS. Um, as you are aware, uh, the BRICS summit uh, will start in China uh, from the 2nd to the 5th of September in Shaman. And we thought of uh, bringing scholars from these countries, uh, BRICS countries, to discuss. And one of the biggest problems we have is that literature on matters of BRICS uh, is quite limited. And there isn't much um, exchange among BRICS uh, people. Um, the highest interaction is among states. And therefore, our main aim as University of Johannesburg, working in partnership with Sachi Chair, which is at University of Johannesburg, as well as Oxfam, uh, we brought a critical team that is looking into these matters uh, that deals with trade among uh, countries, uh, cooperation in all other spheres. Uh, including the fourth industrial revolution. There are a number of issues, and we're happy with the uh, number of people who have turned up, more than 60, and the discussions as we speak are are going on. We intend to uh, publish a book um, uh, that will come out next year that will deal with this, ensure that these matters are spread, are read, and people fully understand what BRICS are all about. But expectations have lowered, uh, Dr. Munyai, with some of the BRICS economies recording slower growth and facing political hurdles. What do you make of this? Uh, would you say the thrill behind BRICS Africa engagement has waned somewhat? It, it did, um, as much as everyone else, including the most developed countries, which are, are their growth race, I mean, it's even poorer than the BRICS country. So I think what we can say is that BRICS is not dead, it's up and running, um, but the entire uh, world economy is undergoing a slowdown, and and one uh, would expect that BRICS countries will start the global economy in any way. Uh, BRICS countries are becoming a critical um, engine uh, for, for this growth, and one will expect that trade among BRICS countries, and by extension, uh, the African continent that we're biased, uh, we increase by unlocking a number of issues, um, particularly infrastructure development. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, the branch of Bridge Bank was opened in Santon, and one is expecting more uh, financing of this infrastructure across the continent to increase trade, firstly among African countries, as well as developing countries, especially BRICS. Now, some observers remain cautious about BRICS grouping and point to the limits of its role in global affairs. What role can these countries in this block play, uh, Dr. Munyai, apart from just cooperating in terms of trade and investments? I think they can speak with one voice on key and critical issues, particularly within United Nations um, Security Council. As you're aware, China uh, and Russia, two BRICS countries, are members of United Nations Security Council. And Africa has the bulk of the conflict that UN exists with. And one expects that the influence of South Africa and by extension the AU will feed into BRICS uh, UN Security Council members to ensure that the negotiations on conflict resolution um, directly benefit the continent and more influence in terms of transformation of the World Bank, the IMF, and all other important structures in which Africa is discussed. And therefore, I think this is an important platform that needs to grow in strength and more efforts need to be taken. Success or failure really depends 
on the kind of governance that BRICS countries. Uh, and one would expect that uh, South Africa will continue supporting BRICS. Uh, it is going to chair next year. So uh, one is looking forward uh, to South Africa's chairship of BRICS next year. Dr. Munyai, recently the African Regional Center of the BRICS New Development Bank was launched, as you have mentioned. How do you think this bank is going to enhance cooperation between Africa and the BRICS countries? I think the more of these banks, the better. What it will give Africa more options uh, in terms of uh, the expensive nature of capital, particularly uh, development finance. If you have more of these banks, particularly the BRICS Bank, which is much more sensitive uh, to the continent and developing countries, it will have much more sensitive approach in how to finance and ensuring that there is much more consultation with uh, uh, borrowing nations and ensure that uh, this uh, is done in, in favorable terms to the continent and channeling mm-hmm. the right investment. So we're looking forward for this bank to contribute significantly uh, to the much needed uh, investment. Africa requires $23 billion on an annual basis for it to meet its uh, infrastructure needs. That's Dr. David Munyai, Director of the Confucius Institute at the University of Johannesburg, talking to Channel Africa's Kumbero Munjerere. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du soleil. Kia makande embalelwa kina Miriam Mlopo. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Zochitika mu África. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. And your time is 1717 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. On Twitter, we are on Channel Africa One. Now, the United Nations World Food Program, or WFP, needs urgent funding to reverse food rations, ration cuts rather, for refugees in Tanzania. The agency says it needs about 23 million US dollars to be able to continue meeting the food and nutritional needs of 320,000 refugees. They are in Mtendele, Nduta and Nyarukusu camps in northwest Tanzania without an immediate response from donors. Further ration cuts will be necessary as food stocks are simply running out. For more on this, we're now joined on the line by Michael Danford, World Food Program Tanzania Country Representative. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa. Thank you very much. Now, Michael, can you just tell us about the organization's challenges in northwest Tanzania? Thank you. Yes, so WFP is currently trying to feed over 320,000 refugees in northwest Tanzania. This is a population predominantly of Burundians and uh, Congolese, most who have arrived in the course of the last two years. And given the scale of this operation, we need constant funding from our donors. We estimate that we need about $6 million per month to fund this operation. And regrettably, of recent times, we simply have not been receiving that level. And as a result, we've taken the drastic steps to reduce the rations. Um, Let's go back, maybe. If you can tell us about these refugees, who are they? Where are they coming from? Okay, so since April 2015, we've received over 270,000 predominantly Burundians who have been fleeing the uh, political challenges in that country. And the Tanzanian government has been very accommodating, very welcoming, and we're providing prima facie status to these refugees right up until January this year. 
they now are wholly dependent on the support they are receiving from the Tanzanian government and also the international community of which WFP is included. So we are trying to meet their minimum requirements and by September we will only be able to provide 60% of the minimum ration on a monthly basis. Mm. Um, you say they are completely dependent um, on aid. Um, where, where would this um, money be used? How will it be used um, when, it, or when and should and if it gets to you? So what WFP does, the World Food Programme, we are the feeding agency of the United Nations. So it will be our responsibility to go into the market and procure the food predominantly from Tanzania itself. So the money is actually going back into the Tanzanian economy. We then move it into the northwest. So we're using Tanzanian transporters. We then need to warehouse that food and then distribute that food. And the food is distributed on a monthly basis whereby the family members come and receive all of the commodities, all of the food rations for the entire month. Mm. Um, and the long-term implications if you don't get the help that's needed? Well, the long-term implication is that the food security, the nutrition levels of this caseload will deteriorate. And the longer it goes, the more severe the deterioration will occur, and we would expect to see increased levels of malnutrition. Beyond that, we would also expect increased incidence of illness, of disease, And what is also very worrying is that you would imagine there will be increased levels of tension within the camps. People who don't have enough food rightfully will start to raise their voice uh, and their concerns with regards to the situation. And Tanzania itself, uh, can it afford to take care of um, these people on their own? Uh, Not by themselves, no. So that's where the international community, the United Nations and the other international stakeholders come together in support of what has been a very good response from the Tanzanian government. Uh, It really is a collective effort whereby the Tanzanian government and particularly the authorities in the regions are providing land to be made available and providing services and then these are complemented by the support of the international organisations, the World Food Programme, the UN Refugee Agency, UNICEF and others. Michael, you told us about the numbers of people who have um, been crossing the border to these camps since 2015. Um, Has the situation stabilized now in neighboring Burundi? Are we expecting to see more people crossing borders? Interestingly, there's going to be a meeting in Dar es Salaam this week between government of Tanzania, government of Burundi and the UN Refugee Agency to really assess what is the conditions now in Burundi, to what extent have seen the situation improved and whether or not the circumstances would be suitable for an organised uh, voluntary repatriation. These issues are on the table during the course of this week. We would expect to get clarity over the coming weeks and months. Um, are people still coming through, though, or has that stopped? So now are you just taking care of the people that are in the camps or are you receiving new people in the camps? There are still refugees receiving, and it's not just Burundians. We're receiving almost 100 Congolese on a daily basis. So, you know, the numbers are increasing, the demands are increasing, and yet the funding levels of WFP aren't meeting the needs. And this is why we went public this week. We wanted to raise awareness, and we wanted to ensure that the needs in Tanzania were highlighted because, of course, given the circumstances in the world today, there are a lot of competing operations also looking for funding. Mm. Um, You did tell us um, that the government of Tanzania has done quite a lot, Um, and you did also mention um, the meeting that's going to be taking place between Burundi authorities and the the rest of the region and the Tanzanian government. But um, host countries where, or not rather host countries, home countries, where people actually come from, um, are are they assisting in any way? Um, Are they um, trying to help here? I think what they're trying to do at the moment is actually stabilise the situation within the country of origin. Uh, And, of course, once that situation improves, then it will allow or create an environment where potentially the refugees could return. 
Um, this is something that's ongoing and we're optimistic that the situation in Burundi will improve sufficiently, which will allow for the refugees to return ultimately. Mm. All right. And um, so you are saying that it's the 320, sorry, rather, it's the 23 million US dollars that you need. Yeah. So WFP needs between now and the end of the year, $23.6 million so that we are able to return the rations to the population of 320,000 refugees, men and women, boys and girls, to their full minimum requirements. Between now and the next 12 months, we will need an additional $100 million. So this is a very expensive operation for WFP to, to run. You know, this is a remote location. We need to procure all the food. We need to move it up country. And so this is why we need to be able to continue to identify opportunities to reduce costs, increase effectiveness, to really bring that amount down over time. All right, sure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. That is Michael Danford. He is the World Food Programme Tanzania country representative joining us on the line there about um, the situation that is going on in the northwestern part of the country. He says that um, the World Food Programme needs 23 million US dollars between now and the end of the year in order to assist 320,000 refugees who are in the Mtendeli, Nduta and Nyarukusu camps in northwest Tanzania. Disaster management officials in the United States of America say they expect 30,000 people to need emergency shelter as Texas grapples with unprecedented floods. A federal emergency management official, Brock Long, says the flooding is a landmark event worse than anything the state has yet experienced. Many people from Houston have been evacuated to the Texan capital. Austin, the BBC's Nada Taufik has been speaking to some of the evacuees. Here in the Delco Sports Center, the American Red Cross has actually set up a shelter on the outskirts of Austin. And this community center normally has basketball games in their gymnasium. Now there are air mattresses and cots for those who have had mandatory or even voluntary evacuations from parts of Houston and the Gulf Coast. And when I spoke to people here, many didn't realize just how bad this storm would be. And here, they're able to escape the horrendous conditions outside and try to process what this means for them in the coming days and weeks. Matthew Teeter with the Red Cross said this shelter could very well be here for weeks, given the scale of this disaster. This is a massive uh, response. This is uh, one of the most devastating uh, natural disasters ever hit the state of Texas. Uh, nationally, this uh, will be uh, what, one of the largest responses uh, for the Red Cross in over a decade. Uh, and we're prepared uh, to mobilize uh, all of our staff and resources nationwide uh, to assist the people of Texas. You said this could be bigger than Hurricane Katrina. It could possibly be a bigger response. We don't know that for sure at this point, um, but uh, it is certainly uh, shaping up to be that size. More are expected here, given the increasing number of mandatory evacuations and rescues still taking place. They've set up a medical center for those needing care, and pets are welcome as well. Cheryl Franklin is here with her four young children and mother. Others in her family decided to stay, despite a mandatory evacuation in their home in Victoria, Texas. We kind of filled up the tank with the money we had, bought food, water, stuff that can't warm up, and we just headed on the road. Mom wanted to come to Austin, and here we are. So you heeded the mandatory evacuation? Yes. Did you anticipate it would be this bad? No, not at all. Because at first I didn't want to go. I've been in the flood of 98 in Quero, Texas, and... I just kind of wanted to ride it out, thought, fortunately, mom forced me to come. How many days have you been here now? Oh, gosh, um, we've been here four days. And what were you able to bring with you? Um, We brought clothes um, as much as we could. Um, Pretty much that's it. And have you been been able to get any news about your home, your belongings? We ought to be glad that we left because it's nothing. It's horrible.
no Where lights, no um, trees are down. Um, as far as my our homes, I don't know what's left of them, if anything. Um, it's kind of scary. That's the BBC's Nada Taufik speaking to some of the evacuees from severe flooding in Texas. 17.30 Central African Time. Here's Jola Netulio with your headlines. Thank you, Spumalele. Making headlines, the petition to nullify the re-election of President Uhuru Kenyatta continues in the capital Nairobi and is expected to end on Thursday, clearing the way for seven Supreme Court judges to deliver their judgment. The Soto Police have released former Minister of Defence Tiriso Mohosi after holding him for a day and night and allegedly torturing him over the killing of a policeman. And finally, the South African government says the world cannot afford a further escalation of tension in the Korean Peninsula. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Seventeen thirty-one Central African time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, as we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumalele Zondi with you until eighteen hundred hours Central African time. South Africa is no different from the rest of the African continent as to how it addresses women's issues. This is according to Zimbabwean politician and founder of J.M. Busher Investment Group, Joseph Busher. He was speaking earlier today at the Channel Africa Women's Month Dialogue. The station wrapped up Women's Month with a panel discussion on women entrepreneurship. Busher, whose institution was one of the sponsors of the event, elaborates. This year we launched the Jam Pusha 54 Races for Peace and Unity in Africa. This is really to say the cornerstone, the foundation for any social development, economic development has to be peace. And, and peace is not negotiable. And a lot of people feel that, you know, peace, they think that if there's no war in the country, then the country is at peace. Mm. Uh, not really. Peace is not the absence of war, but really is to make sure that both from uh, an equal opportunity perspective, um, uh, emotional turmoil, um, abuse of power, all those things really cause lack of peace. I want to really push the peace message um, as a peace messenger to make sure that the entire continent, we do not see uh, you know, sparks of uh, civil wars. Uh, we have uh, young people here in South Africa who are still studying under trees in the 21st century. Um, and my view is that you know if they were to compare themselves with other kids who are going to model seal schools whatever the case is um, do you think that peace with themselves in their minds they say well listen mm-hmm. i've got an equal opportunity there so that's really what what we do and so we want to pe- uh, to push the peace message and we're hoping that's going to be the engine for e- equal opportunities social development economic development and in particular empowering women mm-hmm. because i just think women have been uh, left behind for so many centuries mm. talking about women channel africa is today wrapping up women's month uh, with this event and dialogue that it had today how important was it for your institution to actively participate but also sponsor um, channel africa women in looking after ma- families in um, uh, growing um, a nation has been underestimated and their role has been underrated by men. So certainly I think if you look in terms of uh, the rate of women abuse in Africa uh, you know war-torn areas and in South Africa um, it's quite sad. You know just during the month of August mm-hmm. we had uh, not just four prominent people, the ones that came out in our newspapers, uh, all coming abusing women. You know, mainly men. You know, you've got ministers who are abusing women. You've got um, top sports personalities uh, who came out, um, uh, you know, abusing their ex-spouses. Musicians. uh, You have uh, politicians Mm -hmm. uh, who are abusing uh, basically women. For for me, that was quite sad. Uh, Whilst we're trying to say, 
we recognize this and then you hear uh, all these stories. So we don't want to pay lip service uh, to that. We need to make sure that as men, uh, you know, we just don't uh, go and do something just for the day, but we really, we really mean it. So for me, it's very, very important, as I said to you, given the fact that, uh, you know, uh, we believe is a fundamental principle that there must be equality and women have what a massive role uh, to play and and all that has been recorded but just that we don't want to celebrate it how would you say south africa is doing in terms of addressing issues of women um in 2017 well i, I don't think south africa really is very different from the rest of africa okay mm-hmm. but we thought south africa would take the lead in terms of making sure that there are equal opportunities so the women we read in newspapers in businesses either they're linked to politicians or some other uh, powerful people which is really sad i want to hear the stories of uh, women in alexander i want to make sure that um, i see women who are operating uh, um, uh, on the streets of johannesburg um, around the bus ranks taxi rings making sure that they've got proper facilities for them to be able to conduct their business. Um, you know, they would uh, cook and wash their place in one bucket for the whole day. I want to make sure that there's proper infrastructure, social infrastructure that addresses, you know, uh, people who have less than the business class and the political elite. For me, that is a big um, uh, issue I have, that, you know, we we celebrate the ones we know, right, mm-hmm. okay, and the ones that are either married to senior politicians or, or business people. But I want us to be able to say, how do we give every single woman, including you, uh, you know, the best opportunity that will be given um, to Mr. Politician B, uh, a spouse. So if you look at all the big deals, empowerment deals and B deals in South Africa, how many women are there? Very few women mm-hmm. are there. Um, you, you know, you can best account through also, but if you look at, say, who enabled them, you know, who is around their circles, mm-hmm. it points to the same people. So South Africa possibly is controlled by 100 families. Um, uh, that basically uh, control all the B deals that has happened in this country. That's the voice of Joseph Busher, who is the founder of J.M. Busher Investment Group, and he was in conversation there with Komoto Mopulane. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa, And our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbera Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noël Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. So it's in 38 Central African time. Thank you very much for staying with Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Find us on Twitter, Channel Africa One, or on email. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, the ban of the use of plastic bags in Kenya by the National Environmental Management Authority, NEMA, is now in full force after taking effect on Monday. In Mombasa on the Kenyan coast, the ban is mostly affecting retailers and, of course, people using plastic bags. Diana Wanyonye is in Mombasa. 
Kenyans producing, selling or even using plastic bags are risking imprisonment of up to four years or fines of 40,000 US dollars, that is 4 million Kenyan shillings. This is the world's toughest law aimed at reducing plastic population came into effect. The East African nation joins more than 40 other countries that have banned, partly banned or taxed single-use plastic bags including China, France, Rwanda and Italy. Kenya's law allows police to go after anyone carrying a plastic bag. The Marikiti market, situated in the heart of Mombasa city on the Kenyan coast, hosts more than 3,000 traders, ranging from hawkers, retailers and wholesale traders. The market is widely known for selling clothes and foodstuffs, which are wrapped in plastic bags. Now, one day after the ban is in force, some traders are already counting losses. Let's hear what they say. Many people will suffer because of this ban. The price of alternative bags is very high. Common citizen is suffering most. We still have stock of paper bags, but we need to finish selling them because if we tear and throw them away, it's still a loss. Stephen Wambua, Mombasa County's Director of Environment and the other officials visited different parts of Mombasa to ensure that no one is carrying plastic bags. He applauded residents for complying with the ban. We have seen that residents here have respected the ban. Supermarkets have gotten alternative packaging materials for their clients. Shops have also acquired alternative packaging bags. And in Marikiti Market, traders have also done the same. We want to thank all citizens in Mombasa because we have seen that they were ready for this plastic ban. He also urged importers with the cargo wrapped in plastic to wait for a directive on where to dispose it. We plead with the importers that they will remove their products, then they collect plastic bags and pile them inside a sack, and we will inform them how to dispose them, because we are in talks with manufacturers who can recycle these paper bags. The ban published in the government gazette on the 28th of February came into force yesterday after it failed to be implemented three times over a span of more than 10 years. Yusuf Lule, chief executive officer at the Human Rights Agenda, or Huria, an environmental lobby group, welcomed the ban, saying it was long overdue. It's long overdue. As Kenyans, we are happy about this step because it was long overdue. We are aware that it will affect job employment of some people, but most importantly, right to clean environment is important. We hope that this law will be implemented without favor and fear so as to accomplish its main aim. That was Yusuf Lule, Chief Executive Officer at the Kenya Environmental Lobby Group, Huria. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. Change Your Game is a program dedicated to SMEs and entrepreneurs on the African continent. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs on the African continent. Before we even, you know, talk about the journey, please tell me what an entrepreneurologist is. <laughs> well, that's a question that I get um, everywhere I go. Catches every Friday at 1000 hours Central African time and Saturday at 1300 hours Central African time. Change your game, empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs.
We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. You still listen to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. It is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter or info at channelafrica.co.za on email. That is info at channelafrica.co.za on email. 17.45 Central African Time, your economic news now with Wassana Matebula. Good evening, Pumelele. Thanks. Uh, China's RNF uh, plans to invest up to two billion US dollars to revive operations at uh, Zimbabwe Iron and Steel Company, Zisco. Settled by high debt and gross mismanagement, Zisco ceased production in 2008 at the height of Zimbabwe's economic meltdown. Industry and Commerce Minister Mike Bima says teams from RNF have been traveling to Zimbabwe in the past six months to perform due diligence and negotiate the deal. ESA Africa Holdings, a unit of India's ESA Group, has agreed to invest in Zisco in 2011, but the deal collapsed in 2015. Egyptian oil minister Tarek El Mola has signed three oil and gas exploration deals for new 16 new fields in the western desert worth at least 81.4 million US dollars in total with Royal Dutch Shell and the US-based Apex Oil Company. The first deal will see Shell invest $35.5 million and the other two will see Apex, which is operating in Egypt for the first time, invest a combined $46 million on two projects. Egypt, which uh, used to be a net energy exporter, has become a net importer in recent years as consumption has increased while production has fallen. The Constitutional Court has ruled that the new property owners in South Africa will not be held responsible for debt owed to municipalities by the previous property owners. In a landmark judgment, the court ruled as unconstitutional the practice by municipalities of holding new property owners responsible for debt of the previous owner. Property consultant company Levenos Group brought the application before the Constitutional Court on behalf of property owners. Pelma Guban has more. The Constitutional Court has ruled that the practice by municipalities to hold new property owners responsible for debts owned by previous owners of the property is unconstitutional. Instead, municipalities should recover the money from those responsible for the debt. In handing down judgment, Justice Edwin Cameron said upon transfer of the property, a new owner is not liable for debt arising before transfer. He ordered the respondents, which include the city of Okoroleni and the city of Tswane, and the Minister of Cooperative Governance, to pay costs of applicants. Peter Levinos from the property group, which brought the application, hails the judgment as historic, adding that it will bring a sigh of relief to millions of people around the country who are facing the same problem. Pilmakubane, SAPC News, Johannesburg. Botswana Mine Workers Union has made a plea to government to pay retrenchment uh, packages owed to former miners at BCL Mine in Celebi Pigwe. The Union Secretary General Mbiziana Ramukate expressed disappointment that although promises were made to fully pay the BCL workers who lost their jobs late last year, not all of them have been paid. Jane Rabutata reports. Ramukati says that he found it very strange that the liquidator had found it right to tell the nation that the former miners have been fully paid when he knows quite well that they have not been paid their retrenchment packages. Given the failure to pay the lady of miners, BMWU says it will raise the issue when it meets the Minister of Mineral Resources, Green Technology and Energy Resources advocate Sadiq Gibonang later this month. At least 6,000 workers at BCL Mine were laid off following the decision by the government to close down the Copper Nickel Mine and its sister company Tati Nickel Mine in Francistown. For Channel Africa News, Jane Rabutata. And the Board of South Africa's Power Utility ESCOM will consider matters pertaining to U.S. consulting firm McKinsey and Gupta-linked Trillion Company. Acting ESCOM's chair, Zetembe Koza, say they want to stem the negative coverage over alleged misinformation 
about its relationship with Trillion. Koza says his board won't tolerate any proven wrongdoing by staff. This comes amid reports that McKinsey has expressed concern about the Trillion deal and that ESCOM later misrepresented McKinsey's position on the matter. Financial indicators now the dollar trading at 1304 South African Rands at 10 Botswana Pula and at 8.97 Zambian Guacha also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and 0.83 against the euro. Commodities gold is currently at $1,315, platinum at $984 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $52.10 per barrel. And that's your economics news for now. Thanks very much, Usain. It is now time for your sports news with Musibu Dimakura. Good evening, sports fans. I am Musibu Dimakura with your latest sports news at the Salaam. And starting off with rugby news, South Africa's national men's rugby side, the Springboks, currently find themselves at the top of the rugby championship log. But box coach Alistair Kotsia knows that it's going to get more difficult from here on. The box arrived back in South Africa earlier today following their 41-23 victory over Argentina in Salta. Now the players will now enjoy a few days off before starting their preparations for the away matches against Australia and New Zealand. And Kotsia says he knows that they have a mountain to climb down under. Yeah, I think uh, what, how we're looking at this is like in three, three parts, three phases. Like phase one has just been completed, which is the home leg and then the away leg uh, as well. You know, So we're starting looking forward to phase two, obviously the Australasia leg, of which uh, we start with Australia. I'm very happy and pleased with... Uh, the result in Salta. I think uh, it started with a change in operational plan since last year, you know, where we prepared two days in South Africa and uh, we did the job here and uh, we went across uh, during our off day. And, uh, you know, the Thursday, the energy levels were quite, quite high, intensity was still also there training, although we were a bit uh, mentally, you know, off, off the pace, making a few mistakes. But Friday already, you could see there's a hell of improvement, you know. So the focus back and uh, the guys were just mentally up for it and, and really rested, well rested, you know. The box have looked like a very different side to the one that competed in last year's rugby championship. Back in 2016, the box lost away to the Pumas before suffering defeats to Australia and New Zealand in Australasia. Kotsia says there's a lot of confidence in the team at the moment and that they are looking forward to testing themselves against two of the best sides in the world. That is, that is how we view this whole thing this year's windows of opportunities and 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 yet again this is another one you know uh, we spoke about playing away and, uh, and getting the result but we're sticking to the processes that we've embarked on and honestly that's where the focus is and, and once you tick off the little boxes of our set piece coming well again you know and our mauling has improved a hell of a lot as well and uh, creating the opportunities and you know that then then I, I feel comfortable with the preparation that we've had on to football news, South Africa's Minister of Sports and Recreation, Tules Nese, has taken time off his busy schedule to accompany the senior men's football team to Cape Verde for the upcoming World Cup qualifier match. Bafana Bafana left for Cape Verde earlier this morning. They are scheduled to take on the Cape Verdeans on Friday with kickoff set for 8.30pm Central African time. The Confederation of African Football's preliminary competition offers five places at the 2018 FIFA World Cup in Russia. South Africa is in Group D with Burkina Faso, Cape Verde and Senegal. Safar President Dr. Danny Jordan says they welcome the minister's support by travelling with the national team to this crucial World Cup qualifier. 
On to netball news, South Africa's national netball team take on top-ranked side Australia in their second match of the ongoing Sanza Quad Series in Australia on Wednesday. Now the Spa Proteas will be brimming with confidence after their opening match against the Silver Ferns of New Zealand at the weekend. It might have not been a win for South Africa, but they managed to come within seven goals in their 63-56 defeat to the second-ranked side in the world. Team captain Bongi Somi says despite the confidence they know Australia will be a tougher test. We know now that we, um, we're playing Australia tomorrow, obviously, and they will definitely come out hard on us, um, especially after such a great game against New Zealand. But again, um, this is what we came here for. We came to compete against these top three countries and we expect expect nothing um, less than them coming hard at us. And that's really going to show our strength and it's going to prove where we stand as a team and how much we've grown. So it's another excitement. And yeah, we obviously expecting to just step on court and really put our foot down like we did against um, New Zealand. It will be great if we can... Um, obviously just kept the consistency going for 60 minutes. Well, those are sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African Time. Let's check about top stories. The petition to nullify the re-election of Kenya's president continues in Nairobi. Africa urged to work closely together with the BRICS countries to achieve its objective of playing an active role in the global affairs. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, Spumela Lezoni, producer Luanda Mahomet, technical producer Wiseman Mangaile, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. Send us emails. We're on info at channelafrica.co.za. Info at channelafrica.co.za. On SMS, you can find us on plus two seven. 796-957-930 It is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter We leave you with Love Don't Hurt Me Again by Ernest Smith
I'll do my best to be by your side now. Yeah.